Hello, Jack Cavendish here. Wanted to take a few moments to speak with you about something I'm quite passionate about. Lurking fears. If you love Cthulhu and Cairo and want to feel the same dread, terror, and occasional triumph, make sure to check out Lurking Fears when you head out to your next gaming convention. With a wonderful group of demented and wildly gifted storytellers, Lurking Fears is able to weave tales that will haunt your dreams and steal your sanity, which is something I know all too well. While specializing in Call of Cthulhu, Lurking Fears also runs a host of games from a variety of other systems, so there's literally an adventure for your every taste and style. They're committed to running heavy RPG adventures, which are driven by the narrative and, of course, by the players' choices. So do check out their Facebook page and make sure you follow them to find out which gaming conventions they will be at next. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Well, it looks as if Faye is jumping headlong into yet another nightmare scenario. And if I know anything about this keep of Raz, is that we're likely facing hell on a horse with us under hoof. So I'd best load my weapons and head over to lend a gun, or two, just to keep the odds even. This episode is sponsored by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for your continued support. If you're not a member yet, you can join our Patreon for as low as $1 per month to support the cast and crew of the Bardic College. Unlock bonus content featuring your favorite players, get exclusive access to shows you can't find anywhere else, and even get a chance to have Raz run a game of your choice. Visit us online at patreon.com slash thebardiccollege. You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Cthulhu in Cairo, brought by the Bardic College. I'm Raz, and the whole team is together in Africa. And we are, it's uh, late into the evening. The group, as we last left them, is trying to piece together some parts of their memories to try to ascertain exactly what happened the lost 80 plus hours uh, after the time when the plane crashed. Pentweer, the mummy, came shambling out of a, a black pyramid and uh, Catherine fired a shotgun. So after that, there's only about another 30 seconds of memory. And then the team arrived three days late in Nairobi, where they met up with Jack. And then uh, Vadim came off the plane with his uh, oldest child, suffering some very serious malady from, you know, potentially the exposure that of Chicotal itself. Polina and everybody was trying to, like I said, fill in some of these gaps. And then uh, Faye had had the idea for Ella to potentially read characters themselves to see if she could use her clairvoyant gift to fill in some of the blanks. Faye, you wanted to you want to just start there and kind of readdress that real quick or how did you want to go about doing that with Ella? Yeah, so um are we still I guess we're all probably just still around the fire, right? Or Yeah. Yeah, it's about I think when we left it was almost like 2 in the morning. Uh, it's been a really long day, but the adults are all wired. I mean, you've been basically in a state of rest for almost 80 hours as far as you know. I yeah. mean, <laughs> nobody can recall or remember anything that's happened with the exception of Jack. Jack, his 80 hours didn't get lost, so he's been fine because he's been in, you know, in Kuba Waz. Then what I'll do is if I'm not sitting near Ella, um, I'll go and sit next to Ella and I'll sort of just start the conversation where I go, do you think it's possible that you could use 
your gifts to maybe help fill the blanks in? I know that you said that you did it on the pilot to try to see if he knew anything, but maybe you could do it on one of us, all of us. I just, I don't want to exhaust you. Ella kind of gives her the look of, are you serious? Like, do you really want me to find out what happened? Considering all that we witnessed before the memory erasure? Ella, I'm not someone that uh, really does well without knowing everything. I hate surprises. And um, if we go down this, the rest of this journey and there's something that happened that we might need to know about for the future, then I think it's pretty important that we know. I mean, we can at least take the chance. If, if nobody else wants to do it, then I'll volunteer and you can just try me, but... She grabs the bottle of whatever gin or liquor that they were drinking during the fab. The confab? was What was it you called it, Bottom? Yeah, something like that, confab. Yeah, so she takes a shot of that. She holds out her hands for her and says, If you're ready, let's go. Like, she's more direct about it than she's ever been before. Faye gives Ella her shaky hands without saying anything. Ella, there's really, unfortunately, in this particular instance, the uh, the gift of clairvoyance is it's not going to give you anything but a, a long black tunnel. Whatever was done to these people, to your friends and to yourself, erased that section of time so thoroughly, so completely at this point that all you get is a, is like a tunnel of just foggy, hazy, you know, you just, you can make out no image, no figures, nothing. That's all you see is just this, this passageway. And it goes from where you're standing and it just seems to go on and on and on. And, you know, there's really, th- this is something so different than you've ever encountered before. There's really no way through this yet. Ella, to like in Faye's perspective would not appear to have gone into a trance at all. She's more scowling, like she's concentrating super hard more than she's ever had to before. And when she reaches the end, the proverbial end of the tunnel, realizing there's nothing to see, she lets go of her hands, stares through her lashes up at Faye and goes, objects have permanence. Even when you think them lost or forgotten, they have a memory. Whatever this thing did to us, it did not just erase our minds of the events. It wiped us clean, cleaned the slate, the entire thing, so no one could hinder with what it had already started. There's nothing to see. Faye nods and she just says, thank you for trying. And she reaches for the bottle that Ella has and takes a swig. I thought you were going to smash it on the rock and scream, <laughs> into, the, scream into the darkness. Come get them. <laughs> Give me back my memories, you son of a bitch. Yeah, just. Yeah. Yeah, because like in my brain and Ella's brain, it would be even if he wiped the memory, the body still has something to follow, which is what she does with objects. But this just destroyed it all. Like any permanence of what we did is just disappeared. So. Which is not comforting. You know, something's occurred to Vodham. Uh, he hasn't really shared with anybody how he's physically feeling, has he? Um, not to my knowledge. It's been pretty quiet because he was holding Oslin a lot and, and helping pull and dealing with, yeah. with dealing with Oz. Absolutely, you did mention that you still had pain. Yeah, you said that you were uncomfortable. Yeah, true, but that wouldn't. There would be no. They'd be like, "What are you talking about?" No, no. They saw you fall. 
They remember the scream, and that's the last thing. Well, the last thing was the shot, and then you hit the ground screaming, and that's where they're that's where they lose it right there. Okay, so so the okay, so the the Vodum and some sort of physical pain or something happening to him, right. there is a memory of that. Correct. Okay. Okay. My bad. No, no, not a problem. It's been, you know, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded that. So yeah. Um the other, you know, at this point, you've hit a I, I don't like brick walling things, but this is such a, a completely terrifying and bizarre event that it, it, it only can manifest in some way that would be so alien and different, right? With a clairvoyant, you would always hope, okay, I'll at least see myself walking. You know, I can, I'll see the inside of the pyramid and the, you know, some of the, the hieroglyphs as I walk through it, or I see the mummy leading me somewhere. You're just getting nothing. It's almost as if for 80 hours, you didn't exist. You stepped you weren't here exactly yeah that's what she's trying to and it's it's very discomforting to a clairvoyant who normally can at least pick up sensory stuff anything else before the evening ends and then i believe jack's concept was to make sure everyone was settled in the morning get the girls acclimated uh with um scott's daughter and then try to find their way over to sec two Catherine, do you have anything else you want to try to do tonight is there anything else you need to to add or say it's been a hell of a long day and anything that's going on with um Vadim's son it's beyond my skill it's beyond Ella's she can't read us at this point let's go to bed Catherine how do you feel about the frustration of not being able to medically diagnose or understand how somebody who was healthy and talking for the first leg and a half of the trip went into a catatonic regression of just like not being able to speak, communicate, like just that must be very hard on Catherine, I would think. It it is. And as as like the the caretaker of the group. Right. Not being able to do like her quote unquote life's purpose on this particular situation, it's it's frustrating. It's unnerving. And in the past when supernatural things have affected my friends and my loved ones it's been oh i can fix that like yes there may be like some like repercussions or physical scarring but i can fix that right there's nothing for me to do right now and talking about it seems to upset bottom so would Catherine have um seen something similar in like extreme cases of shell shock what they call ptsd now where somebody's basically catatonic from that it's the only would it, thing would it mimic that, that? the only thing that would be comparable yeah that's the closest thing in her mind uh is is that situation the as we know uh the 19 coming out of world war one shell shocked was it wasn't treated it didn't know how to treat it right they didn't yeah it, it was horrific and the end result was always you know some sort of a an asylum where people would just be left to Rest sort of homes and stuff yeah so and i would think her- that's yeah i'm sorry Catherine. Oh. It also like she's seen it, but it totally wasn't her her area. Her specialty, we've said from day one, has been like tr- surgery and trauma, like physical yeah, she's a trauma. Triage nurse, yeah. So think sicknesses of the mind or issues of the mind. It's not her comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. It's a definitely it's a different. I mean, you you could recognize it, but yeah. how did you, you know what you would do for it? Or mm-hmm. and in 1930, there really wasn't much they did. For All she can it, do is empathize and you know, support yeah. as best she can. Yeah. All right. So the, uh, the evening goes by bottom. I, you know, you tell me you're the only one I'm going to ask, um, about sleep. How, you know, how does, 
I'm sure it's it's probably very difficult coming. You know, I can only imagine because you've only been dealing with this, you know, since the car right here. The, yeah. Yeah. This is when you this is when it all your memory all started to come flooding back was when you were, were disembarking the plane. I think Vadim would, um, you know, he would make sure that the kids are comfortable and um, and that they go to sleep. And then he would um, he would just get a chair, prop up his feet on the chair and watch them. Paulina is actually she's lying in bed with Anna and she's got a cigarette and she's kind of just, you know, your daughter's kind of just on her shoulder. And of course, back then we in the thirties we smoke in bed. Uh, <laughs> One of the, what that used to be a PSA. PSA. It's really bad to smoke in bed because that's where a lot of home fires came from. Right, falling asleep and letting in the cigarette falling in bed. PSA, folks, don't smoke in bed. Exactly. Uh, so when the when the do- when you open the door and, and enter this 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 room, um, Oz Oz is in you know one one cot one set up, and it, it's fairly comfortable. I mean, you're actually surprised. The amenities are pretty good here at Kubawazi for the guests, right? Uh, they would have made sure they brought the best that they could actually ship this far into Kenya. They would try to get it from, you know, from overseas and stuff. But she's, you can see a coal, like in the, like, you know, that one red dot in the fire <laughs> in the in the dark as she just, and you can smell the smoke as she's just sitting there. And she, you know, the light blends in from the hallway and kind of bleeds into the room. And you can see her looking at you, you know, looking at you and you can just see there's tears in her eyes. Like she's, she's, in a few weeks, you know, that she's known these kids. She's really kind of been like, this is, and anybody who sees this event, you know, this, a, a 15 year old just, you know, snapped into that state. Enough. If, if you've been any, any type of, of person with a soul that's been around them for a few, you know, you're going to feel that, sh- that shocking loss of, you know, that, you know, that, oh my God, how do you know, what is, what do we do here? How do we fix this? And, and there's really at the moment, we don't know. Well, so much. I mean, when you're when you're heading into a new life and an expectation, and then something completely derails it, you know, it's a it's a shocking thing. Um, and Vadim would catch her eye, you know, and there would just just be like a a commiserating glance, you know, both lost in the same moment, waiting for an answer. All right. Well, that's where we'll. That's. That's how the night will end for everyone. I was going to say that's where I'll end it for tonight, but I don't want to shock people and make them go, well, that was nine minutes, you jerk. Uh, I was yeah. going to say, I'm like, it's a little early. That's a little, that's a little short. Uh, but uh, so the evening goes by. There are, there are dreams. The dreams all stem from the moment that Allard is violently torn from the plane to the point of impact into the sand when Ella you know, kept the plane from digging in and just tearing itself apart in the dunes. The 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 way the dreams unravel depends really on each person here. So I'm going to do a little exercise that we've never done before. I'm going to give everybody a minute or so that was in that plane to describe to me the one thing their character's dream is fixating on and why it was so in- intense. Ella... Like maybe yours is actually frying the plane, right? But what your dreams that are coming up as you're trying to sleep tonight, the plane, you're on the plane, the crash, what part is fixating for Ella? Where is she? Where is her subconscious lingering? I already have the answer for that. It's Kent Aller just being torn out because she and him, like she used, yeah, she was flirty, but really they were becoming kind of, co-pilot buds and they trusted each other because they're flying a plane and at that time it's not as it's not as safe as it is today so it's really a 
communication and teamwork thing. So her whole mind is just fixating on this point of she's trying to reach out for him before he gets torn out. And then all of a sudden she realizes I'm alone. I have to save everybody. Let me hold on to this plane for dear life. But then the being comes out of the clouds and it's she's it's almost like she crashes into it and then it restarts she reaches out for kent again he gets torn out hold on to the plane over and over and over again yeah the each time he's whispering something ella he as the as the windshield glass bursts inward it hits him those those windshields were made to not break easily they're they're i mean Modern ones can withstand like 600 mile an hour winds, right? Because they're traveling six, 700 miles an hour and they're just taking the wind all day long. And they, they're like Air Force rated, uh, Air, Air Hurricane rated glass. So when it, when it pops the rivets on the nose of the cone of the plane, it comes in and you realize after you've watched this occur over and over again, he died there. That's when he was gone. Like his head is smashed. And when the, the arms, the you know blubberous just long elongated tentacle arms grab and pull him and it rip him you know from the four point or five point harness that was securing him to that pilot's chair he was already gone and yet in your mind's eye he's whispering something to you as he's pulled through the windshield through the through the opening that was left as the rain and the thunder is going he's trying to whisper something to you can i make a listen roll <laughs> Not tonight. What? <laughs> Faye, what are you focusing on? What part of the, of what image is, seems to be playing in her head? Because she didn't see Allard get ripped out, right? She was in the back of the plane. Yeah. No. Um, thank you so much for asking. Um, I would like to start <laughs> this dream off by saying. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. No. You, no. Okay. Um, I, okay. Thank you. So, you no, Faye, um, I made it a point where for the majority of the plane, like the crash and everything, she had her eyes closed. It was dark because she remembered she's hearing this voice in her head and she just remembered when we were up in Rupkund, she didn't look at that being. And the reason why she, you know, Faye wasn't affected by what happened at the top because she didn't look. That's why she was able to jump out and she was able to save Sid and she was able to kind of bring everyone back. Um, so it's just total darkness for her. Faye just doesn't see anything but the words are just replaying over and over in her head again. And it makes her think of her mother who's chained to this thing. She's remembering back to uh, Philema when we see her mom. She sees her mom for the first time in 17 years and she's just painting on these walls and she just looks like this ghostly version of herself. And she hears just all of the horrible things that Shakotal was telling her in the plane and she's just watching her mom just draw and she's trying to get her mom's attention, but she's not turning to her. Your dream blends and you've made a connection point that you may have not even possibly picked up on. Some of the images that you are seeing your mother paint, um, give me an education roll. That might be the best way to do this in that dream. Ooh, that's a 30 that's right on the hard success line. She's painting a lot of the same things that Schooley painted on his wall. Really? Somehow, the images that your mother is painting on Thelema, all remember I said there was bizarre paintings and glyphs and all kinds of sayings 
and things in you know an archaic language that he had painted that they you know what you see her scribing on the wall blends very similarly in color and some of the style to the glyph type art that John Schooley was putting in his cell at the monastery in the in the mountains of Kathmandu. Okay. Catherine, what are you focusing on in the dream? What part of the dream what part of that e- event is replaying in your mind? What Catherine is dreaming of, oddly enough, is she's in the dark blue dress that she wore to the gala. She's in a room full of, you know, party goers. She has champagne. And the sound slowly starts to die down until it's dead quiet. She can't even hear herself speak. And she's trying to grab onto the other, you know, party goers and they're looking at her like, why are you grabbing me? And she can see their mouth move, but she can't hear them and they can't hear her speak. So she's getting more and more frustrated and she's screaming and screaming and like, why can't you hear me? Why can't I hear you? Like, please, please, like, somebody hear me. Somebody talk to me. And the only thing she can hear is the voice of Pentwear, Shakotal, whatever you want to call it, saying Matthew's name over and over again until she starts screaming for it to stop. Vadim, how about yourself? So Vadim dozes off? Yeah, eventually, I'm sure. I mean, exhaustion eventually will take you, even if it's only for an hour or so. I think Vadim would be dreaming about, um, he would feel a, an excruciating pain and a, a restraining state. He can't move. Whenever he tries to move, it causes more pain. But he just feels an oppressive, sharp, dull, chronic, and acute pain all at the same time all over his body. And at the same time, he sees his children through a like a fog um some distance from him screaming and reaching toward him and he is crying out and trying to reach for them and trying to get for that to them but every time he he tries harder to get towards them the pain increases um to a point where he can't he can't stand it anymore and he has to withdraw and the pain is still there, but then he tries to reach again, and then the pain increases again. I think that's what he would be dreaming. The dream sequences that you've provided me will keep playing throughout the next several weeks, and some nights I may. I'm sorry did i did I say pain? <laughs> I, I, I meant teddy bears right. and uh, clouds. The soft tickle of feathers as they fly out of pillows. Right. No one expects the, the cushions. Um, taste of saltwater taffy. Listen, it, it's Marlena Dietrich in the top hat and a glass of champagne. Like, it's not. I did whatever. hear champagne. So you're, you've are you actually got that okay. You said okay. champagne. The, but these dreams will continue to play over the next several weeks through your character. And there will be some times that I will release a, a, a segment or something about, which may clue into you where or what more happened. Like Ella hearing a whisper. Um, or seeing that he's trying to say something, right? Like the, she's the first one who's coming and getting something else beyond the dream. Yeah, so we'll keep Elle Fay seeing her mother painting something that appears to look like Schoolie's artwork. So some of this will ble- begin to bleed through. Uh, hopefully in time, you'll be able to piece together a little bit more maybe of of the uh, the 80-hour trauma that that's taken 
taking your minds. So Jack, over to you. The next morning, uh, I'm sure they sleep in a little later than they want to, but I would think by eight or nine o'clock they're they're moving about. You uh, did the team, and please remind Keeper because Keeper didn't write this down. Had the team discussed Australia as the next stop yet, or is that just something we did off mic? Have has does anybody aware of that being said to Jack and the rest of the team out loud, or? No, that was definitely so. stuff okay. that we discussed off mic. Yeah, because and we were on going the plane, to do but, it. Right, right. Yeah, we were going to do it once we got here, but then the the big trauma happened. Right. Okay. So, so we kind the, of got distracted. I guess everybody gets you know the the people, the workers on the on on Kubawazi. The staff comes in and collects everyone for breakfast, telling them that breakfast is served in the big house. You know, in, in the future, if you'd like it here, we can bring it out to you. But normally it's, you know, you walk. It's, and, and they actually have like, um, like I don't want to say field stones, but they have some sort of a pathway lined with some, you know, flowers or whatever that lead from the, uh, the pavilions back to the main house. And the entire dining room table, which is massive. I mean, you know, the English and when they have guest homes or, or places like this, they, they'll fit 18, 20 people at a table. They're just ridiculously huge. That's sort of what uh, is here in, in the Great Hall of Kubawazi. And Lord Cavendish is is here having his breakfast. And Jack, some of your friends begin to arrive in the morning. And Vadim has, you know, the kids and, and Oz with his wheelchair. And they're all coming in, I guess, to get something to eat. Because, you know, Anna's hungry. You know, Catherine, everybody else has a headache. They need to kind of eat it off and put something in their stomach. I think um, probably while I am uh, helping the sort of assisting the kids with getting their breakfast and getting them situation, I would sort of be talking to my father and say, uh, um, Father, I wanted to bring up, I had some friends that uh, I picked up at the airport yesterday uh, and uh, we got in rather late last night and they stayed out uh, near my cottage and... Um, they're, they're coming in for breakfast this morning. There'll be uh, three ladies, uh, a gentleman, and then uh, they have uh, two children and, uh, and a ward with them who is uh, uh, caring for, like a governess, who is, who is caring for the children. And so uh, one, of the child, one of the children uh, appears to have special needs. So I just wanted to make you aware of what's going on so you could greet them in the, uh, your traditional gregarious manner. I have no problem with guests here at Kubawashi. You know that. Why would I, uh, I mean, when you say friends, you're talking about free friends, not paying friends. Is that what I'm understanding? What I'm talking about are, are comrades that I have been spending time with who have endured some trauma, and I have allowed them to come and, and recoup with me. If you would like me to pay them, Father, out of my allowance, I certainly can do that. I had no idea we'd become so petty in our old age. We're not being petty. I'm just trying to understand how I greet these people. If I'm greeting them as guests of uh, our home uh, or as... I would say that you greet, you greet them as you would anyone else. They could become paying customers, Father. They could come back. They could tell their friends. They could come shooting and, and hunt game. I think that we have a duty, which is something we've spoken at length about, to uh, ensure that we are ambassadors of this wonderful land and bringing anyone we can here. Well, that's fine. Will, I, will you make introductions then? Yes, yes, of course I will. Of course I will. I just wanted—I didn't want them to come in and surprise you. I wanted you to know because I know usually you're abreast of who is at the estate and 
who is uh, who's here hunting and so forth and so on. So I, I didn't want you to be taken unawares. Well, you were gone for a few days. I assumed you had business that would keep you there. Yes, they were, they were late. There were some, some problems, I believe, with their flight. They flew in from Cairo. Freeloaders who can't even be on time. You only hang out with the best, Jack. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely, Father. Well, and, you know, the <laughs> apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? I'm always punctual. So, he, uh, <laughs> they start coming in. He's, he gets up and he pours himself another cup of tea, goes over to the sideboard, a couple more kippers, or whatever the breakfast fish would be here in Africa. I'm not sure. <laughs> Piranha. I'm not sure what there's uh, some sort of sturgeon. Yeah, but, uh, the, uh, but he's, he, he takes that and he looks over and he sees, uh, oh, well, there it is. And who are you? Looks at you, Faye. What's your name? I'm Faye Dawson. Lord Cavendish, I assume? Yes, I am Lord Cavendish. Thank you. And I can hear by that nasally twang of yours that you are from across the Great Atlantic. She's a Yank father, yes, colonial. He sees Ella and he's... Father, this is Ella Walcott. She is also traveling one of the... My friend of uh, freeloaders, as you put them, she is 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 one of them. She is quite interesting and an Englishwoman. You might find her interesting oh. to speak with. English, thank God, and uh, pleasure to meet you, Miss Walcott. Hmm, delighted. If you're looking for a husband, I'm available, and I'm still far and fair of health. My son, not so sure. Things happen. He's adopting He's these two. Strong, yes, he, he does remind me of beef that has sat on a st- table for too long. I'm not trying to raise girls at this time in my life. I'm trying to, you know, move on. But if you're looking for that kind of thing, I guess you can hang out with my son. Otherwise, you can sit up by me. I'll tell you all about Africa. I am so relieved that he thinks I'm an annoying American. She gives a light gay chuckle and uh, puts her hand on him stares deep into his eyes and goes why did your father not love you and then walks away (laughs) (laughs) we are making great impressions everyone as as i'm getting more food from the sideboard he was quite charming at one point in his life i do assure you i'm not sure what happened it could have been possibly something he ate is that true father the cane must have hurt i wish i had done like many of the animals in the bush do eat their young (laughs) would have been far more sensible than I'm dealing with now. And then Catherine comes in and he's like, ah, and you must be. This is, this is Catherine Ross, father. She's a wonderful individual. She was a nurse and she, she fought in the great war. She's American, but living in England. And and she has, uh, I am told quite a, a, an interesting uncle. My uncle is, um, Keeper, oh, my uncle's a lord, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my uncle is uh, Lord Aloysius Banks. I've been living with him since I was um, about 13, 14. Thank the gods and all the heavens. Somebody with actual pedigree. Thank you, I lord. welcome you yes, to Kubo. Yes, my father was a pub master and my mother a nurse. Face flipping him off under the table. I welcome you to Kubawazi. Catherine and- looks at the group and does a subtle nod of... I've got this. She sits looks, down, pours yes, the man coffee, and goes, My lord, tell me about your vast tracts of land. It's most impressive. 
Faye rolls her eyes incredibly Miss Rost, were you aware of the fact that wives inherit before sons here in Africa? Do they, my lord? <laughs> and he looks over at Jack. <laughs> it's like you are just going at it. You can just feel the family tension. All right, well, then bottoms Va- in with the Catherine children. Catherine is immune to family tension. Of she course. is completely immune. She pours him a coffee and is like, I will talk to this man because I know how to deal with eccentric old British men. <laughs> And y'all can enjoy your breakfast. <laughs> I'll take one for the team. Yep. All right. So he sees Vadim come in with this, with this, you know, his children and Paulina, and he's like, "Ah, sir, welcome to my my home. I'm Lord Cavendish." Thank you very much for your hospitality, sir. He picks up his teacup, a saucer, and a scone, gives Jack the filthiest look he possibly can, and leaves the room. <laughs> May, should I remind him that his great queen, Queen Victoria, had the Russian blood? And he just keeps walking. <laughs> I thought she was German. German and Russian. Oh. Yeah, she, they had connections between the three of them, yeah. That's right. I, I trust we'll see you later, father. Digestive issues, I trust. And I'm like sort of chewing him on with the hand. I would like reds! to- Reds! He brings reds into my house! <laughs> I would like to apologize for my father. I'm sure he was not the first- ostentatious and somewhat strange Englishman. Eleanor Jacks with, he cannot allow people too close, otherwise they, he fears they will abandon him like his mother did. Is that what you got when you held that man's hand? And a cane. There was a lot of caning. And money. Did you pick up and- the money? <laughs> <laughs> pick lot up the cash? Yes, don't forget the money. That's pretty much all he cares about. Why did your mother leave you? It's okay. I'm, I am used to men being intimidated by me. <laughs> I'm used to men being annoyed by me. Yes, I think there was an equal parts of dislike, annoyance, distrust, and possibly I'm used gas. To all of them. <laughs> Let's go with gas. He Let's is, go uh, with gas. He has become quite a stubborn fellow in his older age. Mm. You hear him yelling about something else, and uh, the girls at the table just start laughing. Uh, then, Jack, I'm sure you introduce. Uh, like Sheetha and Anya to Anna and get them settled. And, you know, they, the two girls are like, Oh, come sit with us. You know, it's broken English, but they're, they're able to get by with each other. Kids find a way to get around a lot of stuff. You know, even when they're 14 or 15, they it's, it's amazing how universally laughter and pointing and kind of, you know, you'll, it starts to break down barriers. If you're just able to think through it, or kind of just let yourself be a person. And these kids start to just, you know, get along. It's just the way you know, they're young girls. And they're in a foreign place. And I'm sure Anya is just thankful to have someone else to kind of just see right now and be around her own age. Not that she's totally forgetting Oz in any But you know what I mean? It's just that moment of just being able to take a breath and say, okay, yeah. So um, everybody gets settled down. And then I guess this is the time, or you guys can start talking. Jack, what time are you thinking of trying to take? You had you. I know you had mentioned before we can't. We stopped the show last time that you know that maybe Sectu could possibly help uh, Vadim in this situation. So did you want to go into that? And then maybe we can also talk about because if you're going to try to get to Australia next, which is the, where we want to go, that's a conversation. Because man, is that a that's a tall order from where we are. So we have to plot out how you want to quickly do that. So uh, while they're finishing up their meal, and while my father's not around, um, I uh, I sort of clear my throat a little bit and quietly say, Vadim, we had 
spoken about a few things last night, and I brought up a suggestion that I thought possibly could be, could add some clarity to the situation that your son finds himself in, if you are amenable to such things. I, 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 you, you, I do not understand what you mean, Jack. Clar- clarity, like, like glass. Clarity, yes, yes. Well, the ability to maybe understand better what he's going through and, and possibly, oh, oh. I don't know, maybe even reverse it in some way. But there, there is the this the, is, the Mihikanda village nearby. Yes, he's like a witch doctor, medicine man, pain in the ass sort of guy. And uh, he and I, we don't necessarily see eye to eye, as it were. But um, spiritual man. Yes, yes, yes. And he, unlike Ella who feels things, I, I, I don't know the term for it, but she feels things when she, and remembers things. He is someone that can communicate with and, and uh, become. It's like, a, I don't know if it's another stage of beyond or just maybe off to the side. I, it's not one of the things that I do. But my thought was that perhaps there could be value in seeing him. I, I personally myself have no interest in being in his presence. So I would probably ask that my my blood brother, Kakayangu, came with us and then he could escort you into the village. Uh, at present, the village is not um, entirely pleased with my presence. So I have uh, taken my leave of them. Well, Jack, I forever trust your advice. If if you think that this, uh, it, it is mystery, we are we are blind right now. If if you think that this could uh, this could uh, open eyes, so to speak, I I thank you for the suggestion. Oh, yes, I, that that would be great then. Uh, and I, I look over at uh, to where there might be a server, sort of snap a finger, and um, I ask them to uh, uh, as they come over. I'd say, could you could you do me a favor, please? Could you have someone? Uh, is is Kakayangu? Is he around? Is he around the big house, or is he out on Safari? No, I, we can find Kakayangu. Yes, if you could find him and then and have him, uh, I, I guess if if it's going to be more than fifteen minutes, maybe he could find us in the main in the main living area. Otherwise, you know, we'll be here in the dining area, and he could come find me here. I have something I need to speak to him about. And they nod, and they you know they make their way out. Um, Catherine, what? What's up, Catherine? Um cup and saucer in hand she sips some tea um if you don't mind me asking what's going on with um the the, the tribes people i like if if they're not happy with you at the moment do we want to be imposing on them are they are they going to want to help us uh, is well, if this man is a witch doctor qu- qu- quack pain in the ass kind of guy uh, do we really want to bring bottom son to him i believe he has I believe he has abilities. I, I should say that. I mean, I, I grew up around the village and Kakiyangu's mother was my wet nurse because, uh, as Ella so patently pointed out, my mother did leave and she left while I was a baby. So I, I never knew her. So I was very much raised between the, the, the Mikanda village and here on the estate. And, and all of the people that work here, they are members of the village that are employed. This is, in fact, or was their land that we now share with them. Um, the problem, the problem with Sec 2 is that I went to him with an issue that I was having uh, that I thought that they could be helpful with. And unfortunately, for the second time in my life, he has decided to allow superstition to rule his head. And, uh, and I have been banned from the village. 
as a result. So my God. Yes. And so in my anger, I banned them from the estate. So it's something we're working through right now. It's, um, it's a private issue of my own making, but, um, but I, I do think that, yes, I definitely think that he would be helpful. He is not a bad person. Um, he is just someone that I would like to thrash until he can't walk any longer. But other than that, he's, he's knowledgeable and intelligent. And then Kakayanga would tell you that he is very wise and, and he might be able to help. And I, and I do recognize that he could be use here. Uh, and that's why I've, I've called for my, my brother Kakayangu, uh, so that he could be an intermediary and take you into the village where I myself uh, cannot and will not go at this moment. Ella, what do you got? Well, first of all, I honestly pulled the whole your mother left you out of the cuff. I didn't realize it was accurate, first of all. Um, and second, if Ella's hearing this, like I'm assuming because Catherine's now made a comment on it, we're all kind of hearing it. She's like, I would be most appreciative if I could go with Bottom on this. I would be very interested to see. Well, they are, they are wonderful people. I, I suppose as, as long as Bottom didn't mind, I, I'm sure we could. I, I think I would uh, prefer if if Ella came along. She is wise in these things. Yes, yes we all can, find them quite curious. I can figure out if he's uh, the real deal, so to speak, or a bunch of hooey, I suppose. But yes, I would be happy to assist you and, and in any way I can to have your child. Be. Wonderfully British, I know. Yes, I I assure you, I I myself being an expat British, uh, I I don't believe he is full of hui. But I will say that the uh, the tribe is somewhat out of time. Uh, might be the best way of saying that. With with the rest of the world, they live in their own sort of universe, and uh, and so there is a timelessness to them. They are definitely tied to the land. So that you might find it, you all might find it very interesting just to see a, a very very different culture which I fear in my lifetime may disappear. Catherine, one of the servants comes over and bends near you and whispers in your ear, Lord Cavendish would like to know if you'd like to take your breakfast on the veranda. God. All these old men love Catherine. Stalin, Jack Cavendish, (laughs) (laughs) the vampires. Jack Cavendish Cavendish is not old. He's 36. Oh, I thought I missed all Lord Cavendish. Ja- Lord Cavendish Lord, Sr. Oh, Lord that's Cavendish the third. Yes. Jim yes, Stalin sorry. Is Lord Cavendish. So sorry. Wonderful company. And you know what? They're very He'll... similar. There's an archetype there. <laughs> yeah, he's like 60. He's like 60-ish, something like that. Yeah. But all but here's the thing. Catherine we all muted. know Old in our headcanon. <laughs> we all know in our headcanon he's Sean Connery. So Sean Connery asking yes. my sister to lunch. No, I, I think that's awesome. Why not? They start collecting Catherine's plates for her, and they put them on a tray, and everybody sees Catherine walking out of the room. Catherine, can I can I ask a favor? Yeah. Give him both barrels, please. Don't hold back. You got it. You can carry, Lauren. There, there's a. They have a tray. I at least take the cup. I like, you know, I can carry my own tea. I'm a strong. They try woman. to take it from you. Uh, Catherine Thank you. Them. Um, she allows them to take the cup because people that. You know, if you work in service, it's almost insulting. Like, no, 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 I can do it. Like, sometimes, you know, especially back then, it's, this is your job. I have my role. Like, thank you very much. Respectful. Is it making sense, my explanation? There's, there, yes. Downton Abbey yes. did it so much yep. better. Absolutely. So you start you start walking out with them, yes. And you see another silver tea set coming out on a cart heading for oh, heading Very for nice. <laughs> um, 
I do stop and turn before um, I leave the room. I would also like to accompany everyone to the village if that's, you know, if, if bottom, if, if you welcome it, and to further ingratiate us with the locals, if you will, not that, you know, uh, what's his name, Sektu, lacks for modern- I have modern medicine, okay? Maybe I'll bring a bag, you know, fix a scrape on a kid, and, you know, they're more inclined to help us. I don't know. You might you might find some natural remedies as well. They use a lot of herbal remedies and stuff and so forth. All right, so listeners, what we have is Catherine is out on the veranda with Lord Cavendish. The team is going to be discussing what the choices are. And from what we've done off, Mike, it looks like they do want to go to Australia, but they can't obviously make any of those plans until Vadim has some sort of an understanding, hopefully, of what's going on with Oz. So we're going to say we're going to close this one out for tonight because we've had a just a minor technical glitch. But we will pick up next time with them heading into the village and speaking with Sektu with Kakayangu and hope we'll see if Jack joins them. But the whole team, it sounds like going with Vadim to hopefully get some answers from a spiritual medium, somebody who has a different power than what Ella actually does. And we'll find out what that entails and what they learn next time. But from all of us here at the Bardic College, we want to say thank you so much. This is a new Zencaster for us. They just updated what we've been using for almost, what, 18 months, guys? And the update is a little bit funky, and we're just trying to get used to it. So we're going to close this one out before we have too many things lost, and we'll catch you next time. Good night, players. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.